Yo, Joe. Yo, Kevin. I need to smell this handkerchief right quick. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hindsight. This is a sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, and whatever else might be running around inside my head, but mostly role-playing games because chloroform handkerchiefs make me sleep like a dragon. <laughs> Right, now that he's resting peacefully over there, I figured I'd explain why I used one of the few charges I have left on this teleportation wand to travel all the way over here to Seattle and take over the Hindsightless podcast. Well, you see, a few episodes ago on my podcast, the Red Caps podcast, I theorized about, you know, somebody sneaking up on a sleeping dragon. Joe heavily criticized that, went into a big nerd fight and said he's never even heard of that happening in fantasy before. It I asked if that had happened in fantasy. Well, I, I didn't say it never had happened. It's happened in Beowulf and it's happened in The Hobbit. And apparently that wasn't good enough for Mr. Mr. Joe. So he sent me a few more voicemails. and Some of them are a little shocking, so I'm going to play them for you here now. If you weren't aware, deaf people are the natural enemies of blind people. <laughs> now, i got to be honest, I did not see that one coming. But I hope you heard that, deaf people, and you should respond appropriately. It's oh, um, natural sure. adversaries, you uh, know, anyway, like the zebra and the lion. Voicemail, which I'm going to try to respond to here as we go. Yo, Kevin, thanks for responding to my message. No uh, problem, I recently, like very recently, just got finished reading The Hobbit again. Really? Um, and I, but I hadn't read Beowulf in several years, so thank you. Honestly, for me that. Either. I had forgotten the part about the dragon. Yeah. Um, though I don't know that that really is a point in your favor. How? Either one of those examples. Why? Like, we'll stick with the one with Beowulf, maybe, sort of. Yeah. But the one with Bilbo, even though in my message I stupidly said Frodo. That was Obviously, silly. it was Bilbo that went into Smaug's chamber because Frodo. But yeah. Frodo took that, one goblin that wasn't again. even I did. close to Smaug, and Smaug woke up immediately. He knew it was gone. Not immediately. Bilbo didn't yes. get anywhere near close enough to the dragon to hit it with a sword. Never said you know? sword. You'd have to use a sword in order to kill a sleeping dragon, or maybe a spear, but you'd have to be close enough. And Bilbo is one halfling who also had a super powerful magic ring he of didn't use that ring on that first trip yes he did and we talked about this on discord and kevin misspoke there because bilbo absolutely puts on the ring the first time he goes into smog's chamber and i didn't even say frodo this time a first level fighter with a retinue behind him of retainers and henchmen no way i didn't say that was <laughs> the situation doing it. talked about sneaking up on a dragon that's a typical party Better planning. A second level thief? Nope. Not doing at it. What level do you think Bilbo was? Bilbo. Let's see. He fought trolls. He fought giant spiders. He fought a bunch of goblins. He traveled far. He fought Gollum. I'd say he's probably fifth, sixth level by the time he gets to Smog. I, I, you know, again, I, I, I stand by what I said. You're not sneaking up on a dragon, and it's but it happened. And then, Didn't. as far as like small getting taken down in one shot, yeah, after Bard had gotten precise information, Bilbo on saw what that to information do by a magical in. talking bird. Uh, there, there was more at work. 
Yes, Bilbo did see it, but then Bilbo told a magical talking bird that just happened to be there and passed that information on to Bard. In just one shot, yeah, but Bilbo. is that example of critical hits? Is that why we no. should have critical Yes, that is a perfect example of a critical hit. I don't see how it isn't a critical hit. That was, that was an example of uh, For like that? It was an example of scouting and Deus Ex Machina by that little magical bird being right at the right place at the right time. Actually, that's just an example of spending metacurrency. Um, because, yeah, you, that's not happening on a sleeping dragon, but you're not getting close enough to a sleeping dragon to hit it with a sword. I never and said if it's sword. laying down... How are you going to kill it? On sleeping, you're not going to hit that one spot, right? How do you think Bilbo saw it? So, yeah. Because Smog woke up and stood up and showed it to him when Smog was bragging about his waistcoat made out of diamonds. I don't know, man. I, 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 I stand by it. You're not sneaking up on a dragon in this lair. Uh, so I don't know, man. Awesome discussion, though. I love it. And thank you again for reminding me about Beowulf. Like I said, it's been no years problem. since I read it. And it kind of makes me want to read Beowulf again. Do so. It's uh, great. But anyway, dude, have a good one. And yeah, stay tuned for that serial episode. That anyway, was pretty dude, cool, I gotta admit. Thank you. All right, I gotta wrap this up. I think he's starting to wake up over there. So, anyhow, how does he end these episodes again? Um, oh, yeah. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Kevin, that was awesome, man. <laughs> that was seriously awesome. So that first bit, uh, that was taken out of context, but this whole thing was fun, and I really appreciate it, Kevin. Seriously, that was amazing. Uh, there, there's an inside joke in my family that blind folks and deaf folks are they're on opposite ends, right? They're natural adversaries. <laughs> it's, it, it's a joke. It's not real life. Um, but, yeah, that's what I was talking about there. Uh, the rest of it I answered during the call, but <laughs> seriously, Kevin, that that made me laugh and chuckle so hard. Um, it was just really cool that you would take time to put that together. You know, I, I think that's awesome, man. And thank you so much for the nice words you said about the serial killers segment where my sister and I discuss serials. I have tried. I have tried the frosted uh, the fr what did I get? Fruity pebbles with marshmallows. I have since tried it in milk. Does not make it any better. That stuff is not good. <laughs> not good at all. But yeah, so today I just got a bunch of calls. I got um, calls from Jason and Carl and BJ. And so that's what we're going to get to now. We're going to talk about like the wish spell and the you know my mom and my sister's trip up here and conan and all kinds of stuff so strap in we're going to talk about it more and let's kick it off with our buddy jason let's see that hey Joe, jason here enjoyed your latest episode glad you got to spend time with your family that's good stuff that museum sounds awesome i would love to go somewhere like that but you know, sadly, don't have that option. Um, yeah, so cool, cool, cool. I do hope that your schedule allows you to join some more games of Reaver. It's a lot of fun, and it's always more fun with you there. So take care of yourself, and even if you're wrong about dragons, I'm still here listening. So we'll talk to you soon. 
Yeah, thanks, dude. I think you just heard that I'm not wrong about dragons, but that's cool, man. You got more to say about dragons a little later on. <laughs> but yeah, the Mopop, which is what they call the Museum of Pop Culture here in Seattle, it, it is, it's cool, right? It's expensive to get in, uh, but it, it, there's a lot of really cool stuff to look at there. Um, yeah, and I forget if I mentioned it, but they did have some D&D stuff in the fantasy exhibit. And in the gift shop, they even were selling the 5th edition starter set in the gift shop at the Mopop. Which I thought, because I was looking around for it, I was like, ah, oh, they don't have any D&D stuff in the gift shop. I was surprised. But they did have a t-shirt, which my sister got me. Uh, but they were also selling the 5th edition starter set, which I found interesting. So, yeah, man, if you ever come out here, I don't know if we'll go there because we'll probably be doing other cool stuff. But we can always swing by. But, yeah, 35 bucks to get in. <laughs> Is it worth it? I don't know. It's cool. It's pretty sweet. The horror exhibit was probably my favorite. Then the fantasy, even though, you know, I love fantasy more than horror. But the horror exhibit was cooler, I thought. It was bigger. Uh, there was, there was cooler stuff to look at. The fantasy exhibit was next best. Then sci-fi exhibit was meh. It was okay. And then the rock and roll exhibits were cool. They had, like I said, they had a thing on Pearl Jam and a thing on Nirvana. And then just like a bunch of other rock and roll stuff. They had a whole guitar hall of fame, basically, with just a bunch of famous guitars and stuff. But yeah, man, it was cool. Uh, and yeah, had an awesome time with my mom and my sister. So thanks, dude. Let's see what else you got to say. Hey, Drew, Jason here. So that's awesome that you got the crows to start bringing stuff. And it's awesome that you set up those squirrels for the crows to eat. That, you know, you're providing the crows more food with squirrels. So that's good thinking on your part there. Maybe the crows will come by and give you some some sweet, sweet hints on how to kill dragons and chagas. So there's that. I know we're going back and forth with the dragons, and dragons should be hard to kill. I 100% agree with that. And Smog definitely, it wasn't like just any old archer came out with, with an arrow and shot him, right? So, you, you know, we're going back and forth, but let's be honest, we're not that far apart on this. The um, dragons are hard to kill. The question is, when you introduce a horror thing like a chaga, it doesn't really even exist in the same world as a dragon, you know, so it's kind of a weird dichotomy, but I, I'm I, I'm kind of messing around with you with dragons and stuff, but I, I'll fully admit, dragons are very hard to kill. They should be hard to kill. They should be super scary, but you know, if you sneak up on them when they're sleeping, which I think is possible, then who knows? You might get lucky. We talked about this over on Kevin's show, too, though, so go check that out. Yeah, dude, we did talk about it on Kevin's show, and then Kevin came over here to record on my show. It was awesome, man. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the chloroform handkerchief, though, you know, worse things have happened to me in my life. <laughs> anyway, dude, yeah, no, I know we are close on this, and this is what I love about these nerd debates, man. Like... You can be close, but you can still argue the minutia. That's what this stuff is all about. I enjoy it. I have fun with it. Um, and I take it all in good fun and in good spirit. And I hope everybody else out there does, too. I feel like Kevin does, because what he put together at the top of the show there was pretty brilliant, man. Uh, and, dude, yeah, the crows are fast becoming my friends. 
they don't they don't fly off if they're out in the yard eating eating peanuts they won't fly off when i walk past them i can get real close to them they hop up to me not all the way but within just a few feet when i toss out a peanut unsalted still in the shell so it gives the crow something to do other than just eat right they got to figure out how to crack the shell the other day was amazing i had i think four crows and two squirrels all in my yard all at the same time all munching on peanuts at the same time and i just was sitting there and it was quiet and all i could just hear was just and it was so cool man i loved it i felt like a druid i felt like a ranger it was amazing um but yeah, dude, uh, as far as the squirrels eating crows, man, or vice versa, I don't know. I think people are going to call up and yell at you about that. Hey, Joe, this is Jason again. Just want to say, even if you get calls from people trying to defend squirrels and saying you shouldn't feed the squirrels to the crows, you, you know, you, ha- you have to do what you have to do. The crows have to eat too, man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. I think the scrows and the scrows, the crows and squirrels are friends. We'll see how long that lasts. Winter is coming, you know. Squirrels are tucking their nuts away. Crows are getting ready to do what crows do in the winter. But as of now, they they hang out together. They don't they don't squabble too much. Though I will say, one of my neighbors was telling me, this was a while ago, and I forget, I might have mentioned it before, but this, several years ago, she had a crow drop her off, like the torn up carcass of a baby rabbit on her front door. <laughs> so it's not like crows, though I don't think, I don't know if crows hunt live prey. I I don't know if they do. They might. Um, I know they're omnivores. They eat pretty much whatever is around. So maybe they do. But I think traditionally that's not a thing they that crows necessarily do. Ravens might be different. But, yeah, man, I just think they're fascinating animals. And I love squirrels. Squirrels get – I've never had any problems with squirrels. I think they're cute. I think they're cool. We don't have a ton of them. They don't get in the house. They don't get in our rafters. And I know if you're living in an area that has like a billion squirrels living in the woods somewhere, they can be a hassle, I'm sure. But here, they're not. And I just think they're little cutie pies, man. They come running out. The squirrels get super close to me. They'll come right up to the bottom of the stairs and just be like, and I'll be like, hey, buddy. Uh, and sure, I'm sure they have rabies, and rabies is a terrible, terrible way to die. But you know, what are you gonna do, dude? <laughs> anyway, man, thank you for those calls. We'll hear a little bit more from you later, talking about the wish spell. But up next, we got BJ, man. We got the arcane alienist, the game doc, man. He's calling in to talk about Conan. And the, specifically the Howard stories of Conan, not the movies. And this is an amazing call. This is an important call. And BJ has awesome, awesome stuff to say. So pay attention to this, everybody. If you haven't listened to anything else, listen to, listen to BJ talk right here because this is awesome. Anyway, dude, Jason, thanks for the calls, man. Hey, Joe, it's BJ. Um 
loving the latest episodes. I really liked listening to uh, you and Jason talk about cyberpunk. I'm going to have to check that that show out. I've seen it on Netflix. I just haven't clicked over and watched on it watched it yet. So I'll have to to take a look. Um, I know everybody's been talking about Conan. Uh, we we briefly touched on it in kind of a sidebar conversation in the latest Cerebravore. Um, what's interesting is, <clears throat> independent of this kind of discussion popping up on Anchor, I had started listening to. I have I have an, an omnibus collection of all of Howard's writings on Conan as an audiobook, and I've been listening to it with my son just when we're driving somewhere, and he's really enjoying you know the sword and sorcery adventure of it and some of the humor and some of the the, the action. But um, he, without really much prompting from me, although I had planned to talk to him about it, had noticed some of the um, the racism and, and sexism. And then the, the last story we actually happened to get to was the Frost Giant's daughter. And then he noticed sort of the the creepiness there at the end. The, 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 he didn't use the word rapey because he's 13, and I think he's uncomfortable using that word out loud. But uh, he, he saw it. He... he, he picked up on it and so we've had some good conversations about this was written in the 30s and this is who Robert Howard was and some of his his views which which were you know prejudicial and how do you approach reading this kind of material and seeing what's enjoyable about it or what's what's what could be good about it versus looking at what's problematic about it uh, and how do you separate those two and, and can you enjoy this or, or not um those are neat conversations, and, and I'm especially glad to be having with him now that he's 13 because Oklahoma has passed some very poorly worded legis- poorly worded legislation, <laughs> which means, um, without getting too much into it, he's probably not going to have anybody have that kind of conversation with him until he gets to college. There's, there's, there's his junior high and high school teachers, even if they wanted to have those kind of lessons about how you separate those views from the, the views of the author, from the, the story, from the quality of the literature and all that, they're... They're just not likely to happen in the near future. But that's the day and age we live in. So anyway, I uh, appreciate your thoughts on the topic. I think, I think I'm think i kind of in line with, with where you and Daniel are in terms of, uh, yeah, there's there's some stuff there that, you know, it, it's it's not cool. <laughs> um, but uh, how do you, and, and, and the, it leaves a scratch, and how do you appreciate what is there that might be good or interesting and separate it out from what's bad and, and without excusing it, without making excuses for, oh, you can't, you know, that's a, you know, you, you just you just can't, uh, you just have to accept that this, he was a product of his times. Well, maybe so, but there's a reason times change and change for the better in that regard. Um, anyway, great discussion. Talk to you later. Dude, BJ, that... That was just an amazing call, man. I your your kid's a lucky bastard, you know. <laughs> He's a really lucky dude to have a dad like you that can have those kind of talks. There, like, <laughs> there there is no way in hell my dad ever would have had that sort of open, frank, honest, thoughtful discussion with me when I was that age. And yeah, your your kid's a lucky dude, man. And that that reason right there that you just talked about, BJ, is why I would never advocate for their never, you know, for like the banning of Conan books or burning them all or anything. Never in a million years um, because of that reason exactly, because they can spur these kinds of conversations where people say, hey, what's the deal with that? And then you can talk about it. Um, yeah, man, that that was just fantastic. Thank you for that.
And I hope you did or will check out Edge Runners, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, because it's very, very cool. My buddy Woody just started it. He's like four episodes into it and super, he likes it. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, it's awesome. But speaking of Cyberpunk, when Jason and I talked about Cyberpunk, we talked about some of the literature where cyberpunk comes from and in our discussions we did leave out a book so jason remind us of what we left off the list of things hey i just wanted to mention also that we mentioned novels the one that always gets left out which is a shame because it's really a fund foundational novel in fact it predates neuromancer and neuromancer william gibson was you know mike Pondsmith read william gibson after he did cyberpunk 2013 but the novel that really pushed Cyberpunk 2013 that originally pushed the Cyberpunk universe to Mike Pondsmith was hardwired by William John sorry Walter John Williams hardwired it's actually really good it's part of a series but the first one hardwired is the one that's really in there and it's you, you know that's the one people need to look for so check that out and back to the show Yeah, I totally agree, Jason. Hardwired is awesome. If if you haven't read Hardwired and you like Cyberpunk, definitely definitely read Hardwired. It's great. There there there's so much good Cyberpunk fiction out there. Lots of awesome sh Cyberpunk short stories. And that's that's a fantastic way to consume the genre, I think. Like Cyberpunk Edge Runners anime, an amazing way to consume the genre. Um and then you have short stories, which I think do a great job of just giving you that taste. Uh, then, you, then you have the full novels and series, like the Neuromancer series. Ah, oh, man. God damn, dude. I love Cyberpunk. <laughs> I love Cyberpunk. I really, I want to play some more. I do. I, I'm just trying to debate what system I want to play. I would love to use cyberpunk 2020 uh because that's my jam but you know it's just it's not a great pdf as far as speech to text goes so that makes it a little tricky though the system is easy enough to run uh there's a powered by the apocalypse system called shit it might even be called like night city i don't think it is though. obviously it's not called night city because that would be probably a copyright thing but it's something i forget what it's called but that seems like a really cool one it's designed for like one shots or just very short campaigns that's the way the system is designed so that's pretty neat um there's altered state by icrpg which i don't know that wasn't really my jam that's a little too far future for me as far as my cyberpunk tastes go um, but there is, that's always an option. So yeah, there, there's, you know, there's shadow run, which <laughs> I don't think so, but you never know stranger things have happened. I, yes, shadow run is just one of those games that I think I will just always love from afar. I did play one session of it. I have built one character for it for this latest edition of shadow or whatever it is. I think it's seventh edition or something. Uh, a person in, in my group who's no longer in my group really got 
really wanted to run it super hard, but never wanted to read the whole thing. So we only played one session and they didn't know what the hell they were doing. But I had fun building the character. So yeah, I don't know what system I'd run if I was going to run Cyberpunk. I, I I don't know. I'll have to... <laughs> I'll think about it. But anyway, dude, Jason, thank you for that call. Thank you for reminding us of Hardwired because that book is amazing. Now let's talk about wishes. Uh, I think it was my last episode. I talked about that tweet um, where there was a player made a wit used the wish spell during a session to get out of danger. And the dungeon master teleported them to the the plane of positive energy where they disintegrated almost instantly. And I was talking about how I thought that was a bullshit interpretation of wish and how wish should be. And, and so I asked, have you guys ever used wish or had wish used at one of your tables? And Jason and Carl have, and they called in, they got some stuff to say. Um, so yeah, let's, let's hear from Carl and then we'll hear from Jason. And then after that, I think that's it. Then I think we'll get out of here, but let's hear from these two boys about wishes. Wishes get stitches. Yep, we're back doing it this way. So here comes the message from Carl. Hey, Joe, this is Carl responding to your question about wishes. So I've seen, I've never had one of my players cast a wish, but then I don't play very often. But I have had players cast wishes. A lot of times it's just to circumvent something in the rules. And I guess I allowed it because... You know, why not? These are the people I'm playing with, so got to keep them happy, and you want to continue the campaign. So if you remember, AD&D had restrictions on limits for levels for the uh, for demi-humans or non-humans, and in our um, Asian Adventures game, the player who played the Haigen Yokai, Wu Yen, used wishes to... Uh, make an exception so i guess that's okay yeah that seems all right the other thing that um i've seen the coolest use of a wish though was in um the al-kadim setting game and one of the player characters was the like long lost son of a noble and in one of the adventures we got like either a magic lamp or a ring of dijin summoning and um I believe, like, the Dijin has, like, at least one wish, or maybe it does have three wishes, I don't know. But anyway, the first wish that the player used, probably inspired uh, by Aladdin, maybe, he freed the Dijin, so, and then he asked, well, you can stay and, you know, at your own, uh, by your own will, you can stay and, uh, be a friend or if not then um you can leave and then maybe this was also prompted by the fact that he was like one of those um i think it's called a shire where he had like a, a um an elemental companion right that would summon spells for him so maybe he's like well this you know companion frida i think her name was serves at her own will so why should the Dijin be you know bound to this item so the first wish was to dissolve that and you can you're free to go Mr. Dijin but if you want to stay hey ask Frida how I treat her and I think that's that's gotta be the last wish that's gotta be the last one 
you know, etc. And um, and this also player character also was consistent, right? His family had household uh, warriors, right? They're called Mamluks, and they're right. I guess it's culturally in Turkey they would take orphans and train them to be war, you know warriors, so that were effectively slaves of the state and um he was assigned a couple bodyguards the player character was and he said you know what you guys are free to go uh you're free if you want to stay that'd be great we'll take care of you but i don't want you to be uh, bound any longer so he was consistent which is great I sounds think it's like a, great a nice use guy. of a wish yeah very totally. thematic yep yep and um yeah i think a player should be rewarded and I'm, I guess I'm not the kind of GM who will twist things around. And anyway, it seems like like a Dijin will honor the wish, but like Ifrit or Dao, at least in the according to the you know the monster manuals from AD and D, they're the ones who kind of twist things around with regards to wishes. But like a wish from a ring isn't necessarily twisted unless the item is cursed. But uh, you know, some GMs are going to be the way they are, right? It's their game. As as angry and mean spirited as it might be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get off of here. That's a pretty awesome story, Carl. I like that the dude set the the gin free. Although if it was me, I probably would have cast my first two wishes, then set it free with my last wish. <laughs> no, but that that was awesome, man. Um I've mentioned Tales from my D&D campaign before, the YouTube channel. He's, along with the animated retellings of the campaign that he is pretty much done running, um, he also does these, like, lore videos where they're also animated, but they're about the world, and you get little snippets. There's there's one, it's called Sands, like S-A-N-D-S, um... And it, it focuses on, on genie and genie curses and tricking the gin and all that stuff. It's really cool. It's only a couple minutes long. I recommend it. It's it's pretty awesome. Maybe if I get ambitious, I will include the uh I'll include the show notes, man. But that was good stuff, Carl. Thanks for that. Uh let's hear from Jason about wishes. Hey Jay Jason here. So the wish spell, yeah, they can be tricky, man. Um I'm sure they're good ways do wish spells, but I kind of think the problem is overthinking them, both as a player and as the GM. You know what I mean? Because you can really drag the session down. I, I think as a GM, if you offer the player that wish spell, it's good to have some kind of time hack where they can't spend too long thinking about it. You you know, make them kind of do a snap thing. And then as the GM, of course, I, I think you just roll with it and go with it and don't worry too much about it. Um, but, you know, if you have a chance to twist it against them, then, hey, that's always fun. As far as um, corporations, I can't believe you're being mean to the, the, those people that have legal rights in our system. There you go. Now I gave you something to rant about. <laughs> if I had access to the wish spell, it would be to wish away the fact that corporations in the United States share many of the same constitutional rights as human beings, which is the most ridiculous thing at all. Because, I, I, you know, I don't remember seeing anything about corporations in the Constitution. 
I don't remember seeing that. So how that happened, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. That's so weird. That's so weird. It's almost like corporations run this country. It's crazy. But, dude, you're right. Like, the wish spell, you just can't overthink it. Don't don't worry about it. If you can twist it, that's cool. But you can't... I mean, you can do whatever. Anyone can do whatever the hell they want. Um, I wouldn't twist it to the point where it's not the same wish anymore, right? Because then you're not twisting it. You're changing it. You're making it... You're making it different. But, yeah, like, when I, when I did it, one... I put it in the bottom of a well, um, of a wishing well, and there was a crazy monster down there. I wasn't sure if anyone would even go check it. I had no idea. I just put it there. I said, you know what? I'm going to put a wishing well with a wish coin at the bottom of this. It'll have one wish. I'm putting it down there. They'll have to fight this crazy monster who's guarding it, but I'm going to put it there. And if anyone goes for it, sweet, we'll see what happens. And yeah, Woody just jumped down there. He's just like, I'm, I'm going down. He didn't even know what was down there. I was like, you detect like a strong sense of magic coming from the bottom of this well. And he's like, let's, let's check that out, dude. So he ended up having to 1v1 the crazy monster got the wish coin and just made the wish, you know, there wasn't any real hemming and hawing or like, you know, lawyering or anything like that. It was just, I wish for, I forgot, damn it. I wish I could remember. I wish I could remember his name. One of the players in that group has amazing extensive notes. Cause she was going to write, uh, she was going to write a novel based on that campaign and the characters in that campaign and everything. Oh, I wish I could remember his name. He was a sweet vampire. But yeah, throw out a wish spell every now and then. See what happens. It's like throwing out a deck of many things. I've never done that. I've never done that. Uh, but, you know, why not? <laughs> just just, just see where your campaign goes from there. Because it can get crazy. Um, but yeah, dude, thank you for that call, Jason. That was awesome. Um, yeah, you know... Workers should own the means of production. That's just a simple fact. Um, you know, CEOs are the bane of existence. They get paid a shitload of money for not doing a whole lot. Anyway, let's uh, let's get out of here on that note. I'll see you. I'll see you in a second. So it's actually the day after I started putting this episode together. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened yesterday. I just, you know, I got hit with a bunch of heavy news from friends. Um, and then just with everything else, I just was feeling just blah, you know, and I just kind of zoned out. I was supposed to play in a game of Vigilante City and like a shitty player I just didn't show up. I didn't do that intentionally, though that's not an excuse. Um, I did not do that intentionally. I forgot that there was a time change in the game, and by the time I realized it was, yeah. So I feel I feel bad about that. But, you know, a new day, and that's always good. I just got back from the surgical consultant, and so I am getting orthoscopic surgery on my knee 
on October 27th. So that's less than a month away. I got some stuff I have to do before then. I got to get my pre-surgical whatever checkup or whatever you have to do. Um, but yeah, that, that should be pretty good. And it, (laughs) the thing, the joke I made about blind people and deaf people being natural enemies of each other that I talked about at the, at the start of this show, it, it, it came to fruition because of course my, uh, medical assistant, the one who, you know, the, the the person you talk to before the doctor comes in and after the doctor leaves, right? That person, the medical assistant, the MA, uh, yeah, she was totally deaf. Not totally deaf, uh, but she's deaf, I'm blind, it's very hard to communicate. So we get that done, and I was just like, yep. <laughs> and it just reminded me of the time. I don't know if I've talked about this on this show before, but it reminded me of the time. This was several years ago, uh, working with an agency called Department of Services for the Blind, and I was meeting with my counselor, and my counselor was deaf, and so I'm like, okay, and the counselor mentioned that they were bringing along an interpreter, so I'm like, okay, so I'm sitting there waiting in the office, and... All of a sudden, this kid comes walking in, and I'm like, who's who's this kid coming up to me? Turns out that the interpreter was a little person. So it's a blind guy, a deaf lady, and a little person sitting in a room, right? That's the start of a fucking joke, if I've ever heard one before. It was crazy. It was one of the most surreal things that's ever happened to me. And I, I just have a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of those stories. It's... <laughs> Oh, so many things in my life are just a story, right? Nothing can ever be easy. (laughs) Jeez, man. But I I am over the moon that I'm going to get this taken care of. I can't can't wait. It's going to be great. Um, Yeah, it was awesome. The place called me to schedule my surgery on my car ride home from the appointment. So that was fantastic. And it's less than a month away. That's that's great. Anyway, that's 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 the last knee update for a while, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I want to thank everybody for the awesome calls. Thanks to Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much for putting that together again, man. That was awesome. Jason, thank you for calling in on my Google Voice number that I always forget to leave the number of. Um, I think it's six one one four nine four six six five six, but. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> Do not hold me to that. Uh, thank you to BJ. He emailed me, uh, which was awesome, dude. Thank That call was amazing. Carl sent it to me on Discord. Carl, thank you for that. And I think that's everybody, man. I appreciate it. At time of recording, we have our Wrath of the Righteous game tomorrow the next session and it's it's going to be a spicy one for sure uh where we last left our heroes they were face to face with a bad demon <laughs> a bad demon had just shown up and been like i'm gonna eat you people because you killed everyone else i was gonna eat <laughs> and the party is in a bad position because again they were getting ready to go into 
the last door they haven't explored and this demon just showed up out of nowhere behind them. So all the squishy people are the closest ones to the demon. It's, it's going to be an interesting fight. So much of it... That's what I love about these games, right? Because you don't... I can't predict what's going to happen. It comes down to initiative. It'll come down to the roll of the dice. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. It could be a party wipe. I could end up killing them all. Or the fight might take two rounds and they just murder the shit out of this demon super fast like that. I do not know. I know I have some plans. I got some interesting things I want to do with this guy if he survives long enough to do it. This crazy demon who gets stronger every time he kills someone. He gets bigger and stronger and more powerful every time he kills someone. Which, that's fun. <laughs> it's going to be... It's going to be crazy. And then other stuff is planned for after that. I'm, I'm really excited for this session. And we're closing in on it. We're closing in on getting to the end of the second book. Which, apparently, Paizo really likes to throw big-ass dungeons, to use the term broadly. Meaning, an area that has a bunch of rooms to be explored at the end of their second book. Uh, it's interesting. They do it in Wrath of the Righteous. They do it in Rise of the Rune Lords. Um, I can't remember if they do it in Curse of the Crimson Throne, but they do it in Carrion Crown. It's just, I don't know, why at the end of the second book? This one, for Wrath of the Righteous, I find way more interesting than the one at the end of Carrion Crown. Because the one at the end of Carrion Crown just ruins the momentum of that second book. That second book of the Carrion Crown Adventure Path is one of the most fun adventures I've ever run. It's really, really fun. I love it. And it's that whole book is awesome. And then you get to the end and it's just like, Arr! and I know I've talked about that several times on this show, but I don't know. It just drives me kind of bonkers. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm very excited about that. And yeah, I, I, I'm feeling better today. Um, so that's good too, you know? That's good too. I'm glad I was able to get in. I'm glad I was able to get the surgery scheduled. And things are, things are moving forward. And that's all we can do is continue to move forward. So yeah, thanks to everybody for all the awesome calls uh, it's been a minute since I've released an episode, like almost a week, which for me, that's a long time. Everyone else is probably like, Jesus, thank you for the break. <laughs> we needed some respite from you, but I'm back. <laughs> I am back. Anyway, y'all, I will talk to you soon. Stay cool out there. It's fall. Summer's over. So the worst season of the year is over. We're now in the best season of the year. Uh, and I am just over the moon about that. We're, it's October, almost. Ah, it's the best. It's the best. Take care of yourselves. Take care of other people. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Peace out.